please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. You can look in your blue pew Bibles there. I believe it's page number 471. Psalm 46. I'm going to read the superscription at the beginning of the psalm and and then follow through to read the whole psalm. And this is God's Word. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Would you pray with me now? Almighty God, triune, high, Above the heavens, O Lord, you reign and you are great in Zion. We worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this day. And mighty God, we ask that you would please be gracious to us, even to your people. We pray that you would do a work in this church, that we would be those, as we have just sung, who hunger for your ways. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have blessed Calvary Grace Church and how you have worked in our hearts to open our hearts to love you and to love one another and to to serve and to give and to share. We thank you for the ways that you have been ordering even this people, even this local church, how You have raised up people to serve one another. Even even this morning, Lord, I'm reminded of 
all the Sunday school teachers teaching the young children, handing on the faith, teaching them your word. Oh Lord, we thank you for this opportunity and for all of these ones who are serving you even as they serve these children. Lord, we do ask as we come this morning, we ask for your grace and your mercy to all those who are sick. Those who are sick and infirm, whether with just a short-term illness or with long-term, seemingly inescapable troubles. Lord, we pray for those who are sick that such sicknesses would make them depend on you more. But we are also very aware that you are able to heal. And so, Lord, for all of us, as we think of those who are sick in our midst, we pray that you would give them strength, even in their weakness. Give them relief in their suffering and help us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Holy God, we do ask that you would give us your grace to strengthen us in the inner being. Give us the needed courage and the needed wisdom that we require to live in this crooked and perverse generation. I pray that you would help us to be able to discern with wisdom how to love our enemies and yet also to speak truth to power. Lord, we need your help. Almighty God, we do pray for our nation. We pray and recognize that you have been so merciful to us that there is so much grace and mercy, even mercy where you have refrained from judgment upon this land. But we do ask for wisdom for our federal and provincial and municipal governments. We pray that they would govern well, that they would govern righteously. We also recognize, Lord, that you are able to remove them at a moment's notice. And so we pray, Lord, that they would repent and seek your face. Lord, this morning I want to especially pray in leading our church as we pray for another church, praying for Grace Cochrane Church, for our brothers and sisters there, many whom we know as they are looking to the departure of their lead pastor, Jeff Jones, and his wife Erin and their family as they move on to do ministry in New Brunswick. Lord, we pray for that church this morning as they may have fears, as, as they may be anxious about the future. We pray that they would rest in you alone, not in the abilities of men, not in structures or ministries, but they would trust in you alone. Lord, we do ask that as you have privileged us with your word here this morning, we pray that we would be attentive to it, that we would not think that somehow we have moved beyond its wisdom. We pray that you would open our hearts toward yourself, that we would turn away from sin. And even for those who are here and hearing your word for the very first time, we pray that you would grant them even that miracle, the miracle of saving faith. You are able to do this, Holy Father, you can do it by your Holy Spirit, and you can do it in the name of Jesus Christ, for it is in that name that we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated.
Well, it's great to be back with you all. Uh, I've been away. We were here last Sunday, but I was, haven't been in the pulpit since we've been back. Um, we had a great time traveling through the United States, uh, drove, through, drove many miles through lots of country. We're very thankful that the Lord kept us safe and brought us home. But it's so great to be back with you all and to be able to look at God's Word together. But coming back, I'm reminded as we're in the new year, uh, as I know you and know the things you're going through and the things I'm going through, you think of all the stuff that's going on and, and maybe you've heard the phrase, there is no way out but through. No way out but through. Some say that the saying comes from Dante's Inferno. Others say it comes from the poet Robert Frost. There's no way out but through. Winston Churchill picked up on the idea and said, metaphorically, if you're going through hell, keep going. No way out. That's exactly how you might be feeling even this morning. You feel corralled, fenced in. There's no way out. You feel that there are circumstances around which you cannot escape. Is it a diagnosis? Is it a scandal? A situation at work? A situation with your kids? A situation in the church? Some type of a reversal of fortune, so-called? And you desperately want to escape the calamity. It's natural. And yet, you feel there is no escape. That you just can't get out. You are surrounded. Well, Psalm 46 is for you. Psalm 46 is for the surrounded saint. The surrounded saint. Spurgeon called it a psalm of holy confidence. Many people have come to call it Luther's psalm. Because Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon in the 16th century, they would, they would sing Psalm 46. They would sing it because they despaired that the Protestant Reformation that they had initiated was going to be snuffed out as it was surrounded by opposition. And so, inspired by Psalm 46, Martin Luther sang, Ein feste Bürger ist unser Gott. How's my German there, Ole? He gives me thumbs up. I just did it just for him. Maybe Paul can get the German. There's not many. A mighty fortress is our God. And this psalm, sung, as you see in the superscription, by, by these priestly singers of the Levitical line, these sons of Korah. It was intended to remind these surrounded saints that they're called to respond in basically two ways. It's really simple. You're surrounded. Here's two ways you respond. Two ways to respond to an inescapable calamity. And those two ways are simply to behold and to be still. And that's basically the sermon outline. We're going to see 
that prior to these commands in verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord, in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Prior to that, Psalm 46 tells us about the presence of God for the surrounded saint. The presence of God. The presence of God. His his nearness. His closeness. His special interest and His advocacy for the believer in the midst of being surrounded. That is then the focus of a series of very vivid pictures that this psalm offers to us. And so we're going to look first at the presence of God and the peace that He gives in the first point, if you will. Then we're going to look at the command to behold. And then the command to be still. And as we look at this psalm, I I want you to remember that even though this this is from the Old Testament, this is the prayer book of Israel, it belongs to the Christian believer. This is Christian Scripture. This is for you today. And I urge you to become someone who has the Psalms as a part of their regular life, who employs the Psalms even as tools for prayer. And so we want to we actually learn to pray and sing these kinds of Psalms, especially when you're surrounded. Now look at verse 1 there, and this is going to help if you think, if you find the service is long here at Calvary Grace, it helps. If you follow along in the Bible, it doesn't seem quite so long. It'll go, it'll go better. If you're just kind of listening passively, it'll seem longer. In verse 1, we have this very powerful statement of fact, and it says this, God is what? He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, if refuge is for a refugee and strength is for the weak, then God is the source of our relief. When someone claims, you know, they can come to, come to Canada and they can claim refugee status. They can immigrate to Canada or to a foreign country. Well, why are they claiming refugee status? It's because they're fleeing death and destruction. Maybe fleeing persecution. They are weak. And they're without the security of home and hearth. For the believer, whether the Old Testament saint or the Christian believer today, God is the source of strength. He supplies protection, which is what a refugee needs. And this this opening verse shows more than it tells that God is a fortress. It doesn't come out and say God's a fortress. We have to get that from the refrain later on. But it's showing us that He is. Because what is a fortress? A fortress is a refuge. What is a fortress? A fortress is strong. Now, we face the temptation, I think, and you can ask yourself about this. You can just kind of reason with yourself. We face a temptation that stops us from fleeing to God so that God would be our refuge and strength. And the temptation 
is to think that God is far away. He's far away and He has abandoned us. And we think, yeah, look at all this bad stuff happening in my life. Where's God? He must, you know, He must have kind of checked out with respect to me. But this temptation is not true. It's false. It's utterly false. Because we are told that God is a very present help in trouble. Notice the word present. He is not distant. He is not unconcerned. He is not unconnected. He is not uncaring like the pagan gods. He's not a mechanistic formula, some formula of determinism that that the academic theories claim. He is not an impersonal force. He's not a, a yin and a yang. He is a very present help, tested and true, and He's there. You know, I could probably ask all the wives about their husbands at the dinner table, and when their husband's looking at their phone, what does the wife say to their husband? She says, you're not present, right? Because you're distracted, right? Maybe, maybe that never happens with you guys. I don't know. Maybe. I'm, just, I'm the only one that can be not present. Um, but, but that's the thing. There's a big difference between being engaged and being present or being unengaged and not present. He is a very present help in trouble. Not only is He omnipresent, but He is very present. And so He has a keen interest in you. You. Little old you. He has a keen interest in you. He cares about you. He's thinking about you. And only God could do that because He's utterly thinking about Himself. He's concerned with His own glory. But He can can direct His thoughts and care for you. He has a keen interest. And He is a present help to you. In other words, He doesn't intend to leave you helpless. Because that's immediately how you feel. You're surrounded. And you think, oh, well, I've been abandoned to calamity. I've been abandoned to whatever is going to happen. Oh, well, it is what it is. There's no changing it. That's it. No. No, He's not going to leave you helpless. We know, of course, that God the Holy Spirit is called the Helper. The Helper. Jesus said He would send the Helper to believers in John 16, 7. God, the Holy Spirit, is a very present help. But notice the context, and this is really important, because it's one thing to say, okay, yeah, God's going to help me. But notice the context. When when is it that God is a very present help in verse 1? You've got to see it there. In trouble. In trouble. Not after the trouble's over. Not in avoidance of trouble. 
not in making the trouble necessarily go away. He is a very present help in trouble, in the midst of it, surrounded by trouble. If I was to ask you whether you felt surrounded by trouble in the last couple of years, last couple of months, last couple of weeks, last couple of days, then if you were, to, you were to think about that, you'd probably be able to tell me where and when and in what manner those troubles had lined up around you. You'd be able to, you'd be able to itemize those for me. You know exactly what it's going on. Is it a health thing? Is it a relationship thing? Is it a financial thing? What is it? You'd know those troubles. But it is here, in the midst of them, surrounded by them. It is there in trouble that God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. The result then, though, if, if He's our very present help in trouble, in the midst of it, then we can confidently draw a conclusion from being in this fortress-like security. And it is that God provides this security as the forces of trouble surround it. It's in the midst of it. So it, it, we're surrounded by the trouble, but more importantly, we're surrounded by God. And that's more important. His presence then gives us peace when we're surrounded. Not afterwards. It's in the midst of it. All of us are looking for escape. But what we need is security. And if we've got a fortress that moves with us through every trouble, we don't need to have to then have this world where, oh, well, no, no troubles ever befall me. You can face the troubles because you're in the fortress. You know, the sons of Korah, they can list some dramatic troubles that can happen in verse 2. The earth gives way, like it did for their namesake, Korah, in his rebellion. Mountains might be moved into the sea. Waters rise in a sort of volcanic, diluvian flood that overwhelms everyone and everything like it did in the flood in Noah's day. All that stuff can happen. Talk about troubles. But like Noah... God is our refuge and strength. Even when the trouble is just flooding in on you, God gives us, as it were, an ark of peace, a little floating fortress by His presence. So it's not, it's not like everybody in the world is wanting right now. It's not that then we have to be surrounded by a utopia. Rather, we actually have the presence of God in the midst of a dystopia. I don't know. Aren't you worried about everything going dystopian? I am. I read about it. I, I see what's going on. I'm worried about it. But then I remember, oh yeah, He's my fortress in the midst of the dystopia. It's not, oh, make the dystopia go away. No, I, it's, God's enough. I can trust Him through it. 
Now, verses 4 through 7 give us sort of a, a peaceful image in the midst of the attacks and sieges from hostile peoples. It's the image then, kind of switches, it's the image of a city, the city of God, that is fed and supplied and even protected by the river of God. And so it's an interesting switch from stormy floodwaters all around to being provided for by God Himself. You think of that hymn we sing it. We didn't sing it this morning. We sing it often. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When storms like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. What? It is well with my soul. Why? Because all of them have been taken away? No. It's because I'm in the fortress. I'm within Him. And His presence gives me that peace in the midst of it. I, am, I have the river of God amongst the people of God, which is the city of God. Think of the peace of a river. There's lots of kids here. You know, what's, what's the fun thing when you've got kids and you go down to the river? The kids love to play in the river. It's a, it's a fun time. You know, the kids will put their sailboats in the water and throw the sticks in, watch them float, families picnic beside a river. It's such a pleasant scene. You know, gardens, lawns are all watered. Crops grow from the river supply. That's the idea here. There is a river, verse 4, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. See, if you aren't being made glad and being given joy and delight, and let me just say a certain lightness in the midst of all the heaviness, if you're not, if you're not feeling that, if I can put it that way, then there's a sense in which you need to recognize God as that river. It's interesting that the river of God irrigates the city of God. You know, the, there's many famous rivers throughout the world, the Tigris, the Euphrates, the Nile, the Danube, the Missouri, the Mississippi. We were driving, I mean, we crossed, we crossed the Missouri River, I don't know, four or five times. I mean, you zigzag across it. All these rivers are famous for the life that they bring, but there's nothing like the river of God that nourishes the city of God. But where is God? Again, this is, the, this is the point to brand into your brain. Where is God? God, it says, God is in the midst of her, verse 5. In the midst of her. Nourishing her, blessing her, causing her to flourish. And if anyone lays siege to that city, the city of God... And there's people trying to right now. There's people trying to lay siege to God's people. The river of God supplies us. We're not going to get starved out. We're not going to run out of support and supply from God. It's, it's as if you can say, bring it on. Bring it on. We've got, a, we've got this river 
that supplies us. God is in the midst of her, verse 5. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. This, This inner supply is such a key theme in the Bible. You know, the Lord Jesus... He picked it up in John chapter 7 when he was at the feast. And he said in John chapter 7 and verse 38, he said, Whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's actually what happens to the Christian believer. The river of God actually flows in and through you and and to others. And of course then, John tells us in John 7 that the river of living waters is referring to the Holy Spirit. So that's this inner supply. The Apostle Paul, he could tell the Ephesians in Ephesians 3.16. is easy to remember because it's 3.16. He could pray for their renewal where? In the inner being, inside, the inner man. And it's the same thing, this inner renewal. And and I just got to ask you, as I just pause for a second, are are you parched in your soul? Are you parched by this this secular, soul-sucking world that drains all goodness out of you? Are you parched by it? Well, I'm here to tell you there's a river. There's a river to supply you in the inner person. And that is what He does. He supplies. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. You know, again, what's the security of a city? Specifically, the city of God. Well, it's God Himself. God is within her. And so, this is part of then the series of Psalms that refer to Zion. Zion as the city of God. Kind of has reference initially to Jerusalem and the pinnacle of Jerusalem, but really is cast forward to looking to the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Zion that comes down. And that Zion is where God's special presence dwells. And so th- this is where I think the experience of the psalmist And our experience can connect. Because likely the psalmist had known about Jerusalem being surrounded. Now, we don't have it explicitly in this psalm, but many commentators have recognized that likely the psalmist experienced some kind of invasion, some kind of siege, being surrounded. And so it's, it's likely, I think, probably the best example would be the invasion by the Assyrians who were terrifying, a terrifying nation, a terrifying superpower, and they they invaded into Judah under King Sennacherib. Now, in Isaiah 37, Isaiah 37, if you just want to look at Isaiah 37, just have one little check-in. I think this will be be valuable to see.
in Isaiah 37 and verse 21, you have the beginning. It says, Then Isaiah the son of Amon, so Isaiah the prophet, sent to Hezekiah, that's the king, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. Then for then you know, a whole bunch of verses, it outlines basically this invading army that's surrounding Jerusalem, going to wipe it out, God's going to stop it. But that's a prophecy. So just like you read in your Bible, you're like, oh yeah, well, sounds good, but do I really believe this? And when you think about the joy that comes in the morning, consider this, just jump down to verse 36. The angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose in the early morning, behold, behold, keyword, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And then he ended up dying, being killed there. You see, the nation's rage, Psalm 46, verse 6, the nation's rage, the kingdom's totter, he utters his voice and the earth melts. You see, this, this is, you know, you just think of it. And, and, and you've maybe had this experience, I have, but we forget this stuff. But, but you just, you're surrounded by the calamities of your situation, right? And they, you just can't seem to escape them. And each morning, they're just there. You wake up, and they're still there. But imagine trusting in God in such a way that then one morning, just fine morning, a morning like any other you might think, but then one morning, on that morning, everything changes and God just does it boom just like that just like that 185,000 they're dead done the threat is over it's all it's there's nothing to worry about it's it's done I was fussing and fuming and worrying and it's over it's done and you think what was I worrying about right well there was 185,000 Assyrians or whatever your inescapable situation. There was something there. But the point is that God, God was their refuge. And that's the point of the psalm. It's no wonder then, in Psalm 46, it is sung to the tune or to the accompaniment of, it says, the Alamoth. The Alamoth. They were likely young women. Young women who can sing so delicately and so peacefully. And this is what then they would sing. This would be the refrain likely that they would sing. And they would sing, The Lord of heaven's armies 
is with us. Sounds very much like our Christmas theme. Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies is with us. He's with us. The God who wrestled with Jacob is our fortress. And it's and you, you get these young gals and they can sing in utter peace and security because the threat's over. It's all over. It's good times now. This is the refrain in verses 7 and 11. And as with it, the whole psalm is intended to express confidence in God. And you want to hear some confident talk because you might be today, you might have, like your level of confidence in God is like down here. It's not maybe completely gone because you know that's not right. You know you're supposed to trust God. But practically I'm talking about instead of having your confidence high in God, it's way down here because you're fussing and fuming, you're scheming, you're plotting, you're worrying, you're doing all these other things. Your confidence in God is there you know, as, a, as kind of your fallback. But it's way down here. But, but you need to kind of listen to this kind of talk that is confident. What is this confident talk? Look at verse 8. Come, 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 come. Behold the works of the Lord. Come on, come along. This is how confident I am. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Now, if you're a believer who has experienced deliverance like the psalmist has, then then you have so much confidence that you then behold God and, and you look at Him and you're like, yeah, He's able to do this. He is a fortress. He can do all kinds of stuff. And not only that, you know what happens with confident people? It's not about self-confidence. It's confidence in the Lord. But when you're confident, you're like, yeah, I'm confident in the Lord, but I'm going to tell you about it. That's what confident people do. They're going to keep it to themselves. Like, yeah, you need to know this too. Behold, you, 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 all of you, behold, look at these works. Look what God has done. Yes, I'm looking, but you need to look too. And that's kind of the idea here. It's not simply a personal appeal for us to individually behold God, but also this invitation to tell everybody they need to behold God. The nations need to behold God. Look at these works of God. Look what He has done. God is the one. He desolates. He breaks. He shatters. He burns. And how long? Does he get tired? Does he wear out? No, no. He does it until wars have ceased to the end of the earth. 
He will not relent until they're all over. And not that he has established some type of negotiated peace. God wins. And they lose. There is no coexistence. And so as we see the battles going on, we know, oh, oh, enemies, your time is short. Your time is short. People who are shaking their fist at God, thinking they're so clever, your time is short, man. Like you're, you're, you're treading on thin ice. God, as Johnny Cash says, He is going to cut you down. So you need to take a moment. You need to ask yourself, do you behold this God? This God. Is that the God that you're seeing, the one who brings desolations to the earth? That's the one you have to look to. And, I, and I'll just be very kind of getting into the meddling part. You know, it's always a danger when preachers go from preaching to meddling. If you are anxious, and I can just look at the face of everybody, if you struggle with anxiety, I won't have a show of hands. Every hand goes up. But if you struggle with anxiety... You may be anxious today because you fail to see, to behold, and to have the confidence that comes from that. You're actually not looking to God. You're maybe looking to Him just a little bit, but you're actually not really considering how big God is and what He does. And it's maybe something that you haven't been thinking about. That God is like, oh yeah, yeah, there's God, but I've got to put him over here. And I've got to find other solutions. I've got to fix my stuff. I've got to fix my inescapable problems. No, no, you need to behold God. But not just that. Of course, the psalmist adds the second command to beholding God. He says in verse 10, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Now you've seen that, you've seen that line, that verse. Be still and know that I am God. Do you know where you've seen it? You've seen it on the, the graphic or the, you know, the digital poster. or Maybe you've got a poster in your home. And it's always a picture with a canoe on a lake or on a meadow, a park bench, maybe someone in a fuzzy blanket with a cup of hot chocolate. Be still and know that I am God. Oh, I'm being still. I feel really cozy. That is not what Psalm 46 is about. (laughs) Sorry. But it's okay to find a quiet place. But that's, for a lot of us, that's what we're longing for. We... We, we're longing for that stillness of place, but we're not actually looking to God in the trouble. That we could have peace in Him in the trouble. You're somehow wanting to escape your life and escape all the busyness and escape all the intensity and escape all the calamity. 
But actually what you need to do is trust God in the midst of it and find that He protects you in the midst. Be still and know that I am God. You stop fussing. You stop worrying. You stop scheming. You stop resisting. You stop it and you be still. And you know that the enemies that surround you, the calamities that surround you, the stuff, your stuff, your inescapable stuff, the diagnosis, the, the relational troubles, whatever it might be, the financial problems, that is not God. They are not God. Be still and know that I am God. And that is what we need. And I'll be honest. Like, you think I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody. I need to know that He is God and not all of the intensity of stuff that's swirling around. You've got a busy life. I've got a busy life. In our busy lives, it's not, oh, somehow I'm going to escape to the, you know, the meadow, you know, or wherever it is, the canoe on the lake. No. The intensity's there, but God is my fortress and refuge. And he says, and this is what we should know, I am God. He promises then to his people. He actually promises it to the enemies. He promises it to all beings, and he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's an ironclad promise. It will happen. It must happen. It is a certainty. It is guaranteed. I will be exalted. It is not up for negotiation. It is going to happen. But let's face it, you and me, we look at society, we see the name of Christ trodden down as a cuss word, we see the Christian faith treated as a threat to mankind, God doesn't seem very exalted. But it's in these moments that we need to read Psalm 46 in light of the cross. Jesus beheld God at the cross. He was ever so still as He hung on the tree. Yet He died and He rose from the dead. And on the third day, you could have put the headline, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. But now, because Christ is risen, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies is with us us. He is with us who believe in Him. For Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And as Paul said, because of faith in Christ's finished work, work, if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? Just by way of application, the, the, the aim of this psalm, 
is, is for you and for me to be brimming with confidence. Brimming with confidence. Not in self-confidence, not, you know, strutting around. It is brimming with confidence in God. And when you gain this confidence, you're no longer afraid to look to God when you're surrounded. You're not afraid to tell those who are surrounding you that, hey, this is where my confidence stands. I'm trusting in God. Go ahead and surround me. I'm safe and secure. A mighty fortress is our God. But then as I look out, I have to recognize that there are many people here who are not inside the fortress. God is not your fortress. And so how can you enter this fortress, into this special presence for all? Well, you know, Jesus, he said at the end of his earthly ministry, he said in John 12, verse 26, he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. What does it mean to follow somebody? Stay close to their presence. Follow me. And he says, where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That's a special blessing for those who walk in the presence of Christ. Jesus could face trouble. He could pray, now is my soul troubled. The incarnate Son, according to His human nature, was surrounded by troubles. His human soul was surrounded by all of these problems. You think of the troubles of the man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and yet Jesus said profoundly, He said, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Does Jesus seek escape? Does Jesus see a quick fix for his own comfort? Does Jesus pretend that the troubles don't exist? Is the horror of the cross and the wrath of God going to be ignored by Jesus through the power of positive thinking? No. He says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus obeyed the command to be still and know that I am God. There was no way out but through. And Jesus went to the cross through the tomb to emerge risen and ascended on the third day and to come again in glory. Jesus fulfilled the promise, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So I've got to ask you as we conclude, is he being exalted in your life? Are you beholding him? And are you being still and knowing that he is God? If he's not being exalted in your life, then he's going to melt you. You're under his judgment. But the great thing is he offers to be a refuge, a fortress for you. And for all those who believe in him, For all those who trust in Jesus Christ, he promises that they will then become part of the new Jerusalem, the new Zion, the city 
where there is no temple. For the Lord and the Lamb are its temple in the midst, and there is a river flowing for the healing of the nations. That is our destiny. And so with that hope and promise, I exhort us all, let us behold and be still and know that he is God, for he is with us and for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there are those here who are so confused by their anxieties and fears. But you have reminded us that for those who have you as our refuge and strength, we will not fear. Oh Lord, you, you have loved us so much that your perfect love casts out our fear. We only fear you with that reverence that comes from a bond of love. I pray that you would grant the gift of supernatural repentance, a turning from sin, a forsaking of the old life, and a fleeing for refuge in Jesus Christ, the only fortress this world can ever know. It's all going to burn. I pray that there be those today who would seek refuge in you alone. Encourage your saints today, Lord. Give us confidence, not just in you, but confidence to speak even to our enemies that you are God and they are not. We trust you and we give you great praise for your almightiness. Thank you that you are our God and you are with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we get to sing along with saints through ages past and declare a mighty fortress is our God. Please rise. If you haven't found refuge in Christ, I urge you, don't, don't leave here without talking to one of the pastors Talk to somebody in your pew. Don't leave without dealing with your soul and where your soul's rest is. It's of eternal importance. And if, and if all of this has just kind of gone over your head, let me close with a word of benediction from what is a simple Sunday school story that Jesus told. He said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. Is that where your house is founded? And you want to know what happened to the house that was built on the sand? You can just ask one of the children and they will tell you. I urge you, you have to have your house built on the rock. Have that refuge. Have that fortress. Go in peace. You're dismissed.